When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping safe and well. See how happy we are that the season's over. We're absolutely delighted the season's come to an end, but we are here talking Tottenham. We, like I say, hope you're keeping safe and well. If you're listening to the show for the very first time, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom. We're across a range of different audio platforms. We're on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. The season's been over for seven days, the Premier League season. So we thought we'd come back delve into a bit of a brief season review and also who is going to be Tottenham Hotspur's next manager. That is the hottest debate at the moment and I'm pleased to say joining me I've got two stalwarts, two originals of the last word on Spurs. Firstly he's been the man who's been taking us through this crazy train. Yes it may have crashed on a couple of occasions but we're trying to get it back on track for the new season coming our way in less than 12 weeks. Can you believe it already? Less than 12 weeks. The wonderful Lee McQueen joins us. Lee Feeling refreshed? Ricky, good evening. Evening listeners. Yeah, I'm feeling refreshed. Like really buzzing, actually, because there was no fixture to worry about this weekend. I have to be honest with you. Um, I got up pretty early this morning and I did watch the second half, the full second half for the Leicester game, um, just to give me some f- some football uh, um, in, in my life from Spurs. Um, so I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment. But yeah, like really looking forward to it. Really looking for easy, easy uh, season review uh, with you guys and also talking about that manager. I've got a funny feeling that there'll be some breaking news coming through uh, whilst, we're, whilst we're recording. So let's, uh, fingers crossed. Wouldn't that be typical? We're waiting all, what, what four, 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 three, four months for a new manager, and then it could happen during the show. We shall wait to see. And also back on the show, pleased to have him here, we've got the wonderful Jason McGovern. Jace, it's been a week since the Premier League season's over. Have you felt a little bit more refreshed now? You've had a chance to break away for a few days from Tottenham? Uh, I don't think refreshed is ever the word when you're talking <laughs> about Tottenham, is it? Uh, they're not. always in the back. They're always at the, the front of your mind, unfortunately. But um, yeah, let's, let's just get on with it. It's uh, time to look back on the season from hell, mate. Oh, dear. Listen, you know what? I was typing the script up this morning. And I thought to myself, there's no way I can put anyone, even our listeners, through an hour or two of going full pelt back on the season because it has been such a disappointment. And um, But we do this, I say, every single season. We always do some form 
of a review, look back at you know where the key points were, where the turning points were in terms of the season. And we're going to do the same here, more on a brief scale, just to really discuss and dissect just where this season went and how it turned into a bit of a car crash, really, after one so promising. So the 20-21 to 21 season was Tottenham Hotspur's 29th season in the Premier League, 43rd successive season in the top division of the English Football League system, finishing seventh place, runners-up in the Carabao Cup, reaching the fifth round of the FA Cup and crushing out in the round of 16 of that Europa League. How can we forget? Two different head coaches. But European football, in some form, albeit in the inaugural Europa Conference League, was secured on the final day. Lee, we'll start with you. Looking back now, like I say, just that summary. Can you put into words any word at all, how you would describe the season that's just gone past us? It's been a crazy train. I know everyone's like going to laugh at that, roll their eyes or whatever, but it has. It absolutely has. Um, we talked about Jose Mourinho when he first was appointed. And uh, I remember doing a, a, a show with you two, actually. It was us three on the, sh- on the show. Um, and Jamie from the Daily Osberg might have been there as well. And I said it would be an interim appointment. And absolutely was. He lasted 18 months, 17 months, 18 months. Um, roller coaster of a season. Um, you know, what was it? Match week 11 or um, after 11 games or 12 games, we're top of the league. We're going into that game against uh, Liverpool. Um, thinking, do you know what I mean? If we don't get beaten here or if we go in and can win. I mean, we were playing some good stuff. Um, some some turgid stuff against you know the Burnleys and the um, you know the lower teams winning one 0 and then playing some fantastic stuff against Manchester United in the in Southampton second half whatever. So it's, and it's been like that. I mean, Jay said it off air just be, before we come on. Like it has been up and down, topsy turvy. One week, one week, one week. I mean, from that from that game in December um, when we were top of the league. After that, I mean, it was just absolutely. Woeful. I mean, it's so painful, which I know we're getting into. But yeah, I mean, look, I'd sum up the season by saying, in the end, like you said, look, we've got this Europa Conference thing. It is, it, it is a bit embarrassing. Let's be brutally honest about it. I mean, two seasons ago in the Champions League final last night, most of us would have been, you know, if you didn't watch it, you'd, you'd have known the fact that you know, one of what, Chelsea, who we rivaled for the title only a few seasons ago. Um, when and uh, lifted the uh, um, Champions League, and we were only in that final two seasons ago, and we're now qualifying for the Europa Conference. So it feel it feels like we've fallen, well, dropped like a stone. But actually, when you look at some of the stats, and I've got the blue book out here, lads and uh, and listeners, when, when when you look at some of the stats, they're ridiculous. I mean, you know, we had we, we scored the third most goals in the Premier League. You know, we we we, only, we had the fifth or sixth uh, best defense in the Premier League. You know, we, we had the top goal scorer and assist maker in the Premier League. You know, we had, we had Gareth Bauer come back for cameo after 20 appearances in the Premier League, scored 11 goals. You know, that's a better ratio than any other person in the Premier League in terms of minutes on the pitch. And, and you've got Son, who's scoring the third highest score. So you've got all these stats that don't really kind of bear fruit. I might have to throw the blue book out here, listeners. Do you know what I mean? Because you're looking at all that stuff and you're going how did we finish seventh, you know? And, and actually, dropping points, I'm sure we'll get into it, against the likes of Newcastle twice, against the likes of West Ham, being 3-0 up. If if and buts and wins and whatever, if you win them games rather than dropping the points like we did, we're in the top four. You know, it's crazy, crazy season. 24 points. 
dropped from winning positions, if you just held, if you just held, we'd be top of the league. It's just ridiculous, Rick. So that's how it's been. It's uh, it's been highs and lows. Most certainly been, like I say, a season where su- such a topsy turvy one. Where at one point Spurs were in the midst of a title challenge, and then you look at you know February March, just how they capitulated. And like you said, they dropped so many points, and almost a style of play where. Just for Spurs fans, that was very hard to become accustomed to. And I know for one person, that was very hard in particular. Jay's coming over to you. Just want to take you back before that season started because Spurs' summer transfer window saw no less than eventually six new signings. We had Matt Doherty, Sergio Reguilon coming into bolster of those fullback positions. Pierre-Emil Hoybier adding still to a central midfield. Carlos Vinicius coming in, offering a striker alternative to Harry Kane. And a returning prodigal son of Gareth Bale strengthening an already formidable front line. And we must add that Gareth Bale came in after Spurs kicked off the season. An extremely good window, some thought at the time, could have been made even better had Spurs landed Milan Skriniar. I think a one that many will feel, the one that got away, and that could have maybe been pivotal in terms of what Mourinho was trying to create at Tottenham. In a squad that, Jason, I've got to say, at the time, even with Skriniar not part of that transfer window, we looked quite well-equipped, I thought, to compete on multiple fronts. So what did you make of, like I say, the summer window and then how that translates into the start of Spurs' season? Well, I think it's important to look back at the window with the eyes that we had at that time, rather than, than hindsight. I put out a tweet on October the 6th, uh, when the transfer window shut, and said, what's a successful season? I had 13, over 13,000 people replied, and 49.5% said top four and a trophy, and 33% said title race and a trophy. 10% said a trophy is all that matters. I didn't even put an option in for qualifying for the Europa Conference League. That's for sure. Um, and changing managers and and throwing 23 points away for winning positions and things like that. So, um, and it did look a good win. On the surface, I think most people thought Matt Doherty was a, was a good signing. Uh, Reggie, on, of course, came with, with Bell. Whilst Vinicius, you know, we probably had doubts that he was the right backup striker. He was a backup striker. And you just thought with Bale coming in, with Son, with Bergvine, who, who looked like he would score goals at that point, with Mora, there's enough goals in the team, even if Harry's missing a few games there. You know, there should be enough to step up. And if Vinicius finds his feet, then, OK, he, may not, he won't fill Kane's boots, but he'll do a job around those Europa League games and things like that. So... You know, I, I'm not surprised at those results on the on the end of that transfer window. But, you know, as it Hoiberg uh, came in and, and everyone said last year, we can't play good football because we don't have a holding player. There was the holding player he wanted. So, you know, and, and we couldn't play good football because we didn't have two fullbacks who could attack and we signed two attacking fullbacks. So, you know, the areas that everyone said Mourinho can't play good football in were covered. And, um, and we brought a superstar in, in Gareth Bale. So... You know, the window looked good going into the season and, and the early signs, that, that second half at Southampton. And then I think Man United was just before the window shut, wasn't it? It was the last weekend before the window shut. And suddenly right, yeah. we'd scored yeah. five and six away and, and everything looked really good. And then we raced into a 3-0 lead against West Ham and you're thinking, wow, this is this is it. Jose's finally unleashed unleashed us. And that, that three, that collapse against West Ham was... Was, was a pivotal moment for me. I think we were paralysed with fear from the moment that happened. 
I think Jose thought we will never lose a 3-0 lead again. So he thought the best way to make sure we don't lose it is to only have a one-goal lead rather than a three-goal lead. <laughs> so, uh, But I don't think we ever did throw away a three-goal lead again all season, did we? We didn't get but three many, goals to throw away. <laughs> but how many times did we throw away a one-goal lead, trying yeah. to not get a three-goal lead? Yeah. So, you know, it's amazing that you can be paralysed by fear of what happened once in a freak. We threw away a two-nil aggregate lead, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. and you and yet you endorse you endorse completely what fails week in week out and do the same thing. So mm. it's just just a, a, a ridiculous season, and um, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, not just on the pitch, but there's a hell of a lot of lessons to be learned off the pitch, and they're they're the really key lessons to be learned. I totally agree. One thing we should add, Carl Walker-Peters was the only player to have been sold for a transfer fee for, well, by Spurs, Jordan Southampton, in a £12 million deal while Jan Baton was free to leave at the end of his current contract and he was ended up at Benfica. Uh, Villarreal had the option to sign one fourth permanently for £13.5 million. Um, there were no such clauses in the contracts of Oliver Skip and Ryan Sessegnon. We actually expect both of those guys to be back in pre-season for Tottenham. And I mean, like Jason said there, you know, Already we had that full start against Everton on the opening day, but many said Mourinho ball was starting to pay off. We saw a wonderful win against Manchester United, a 6-1 win. And by December, you know, Spurs were staring in the face of a legitimate title challenge. And you bring it up there, Jason. This is one of the key moments I want to come on to, Lee, and ask you. That game against West Hamley, Spurs in the ascendancy, absolutely blowing West Ham away. And it was such a joy to watch Spurs going forward with such real vigour, such real purpose, desire, ambition. And then it does feel that result. We look at key points, turning points in a season. Mentally, the players, I mean, that was, this is Gareth Bale's also second debut for Tottenham, if you remember. He came on, didn't, could have scored even Bale in this game as well. How much mentally do you think that took out of the players and out of Jose's approach at Tottenham? Because that seemed to change everything about the way Spurs would then approach future matches. Definitely, I remember. I remember having a conversation on the WhatsApp group, and we we, we went to uh, we went to Burnley. And we won one nil, and we were all joyed. And Chase would just pop up on the WhatsApp group and go, "Yeah, tough place to go. <laughs> tough place to go that Burnley." And we we would just t- we turned them over one nil. West Brom turned them over one nil. Um, and you know, tough place to go was a kind of bit of a in-running joke, wasn't it, on the WhatsApp group? And and, and actually, it, it was t- a turning point. Yes, we got the results. Let's be honest about it. Yes, we got the results. And Jose would argue, well, we got the results, but it was definitely a turning point after that three-three. I mean, that, that West Ham game. I mean, if you think about, you know, fair play to West Ham for finishing above us. As in a relegation zone, a relegation uh, battle last year, and Moyes done a fantastic job. And you know, I don't, I forget the rivalries. You know, you just got to appreciate. Well done for them. But actually, we finish above them in in that game. Like, do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, we we get Europa League, not Europa Conference. If if that, and we're free, we're absolutely cruising. I mean, we're literally battering them. And then Davison Sanchez puts one in the back of his own net. And, you know, it was just a calamity last, whatever, five, eight minutes or whatever it was. And it and we kept seeing that throughout the season. Well, the Newcastle game, the Eric Dyer, you know, when 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 we did it against Newcastle, you kind of went, you know, VAR, whatever. When, when we done it against West Ham, he just went, that's it. We are tightening up. We are going park the bus, Jose. And I think that really started to... I think it put more pressure, Rick, on on the playing staff because we are we were completely not used to doing that, like completely not used to doing that. And 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 if we're honest, 
not good enough to do that. I don't think we're good enough to defend a 1-0 lead. And I think the 23-24 points dropped from winning position shows that. And that continued even after Jose left. So it was definitely a turning point of the season for sure. Jace, coming over to you, just in terms of that game, we go back to that West Ham game. I just wonder from that moment onwards, do you feel the players felt uncomfortable in the way they were having to play? Because I think it's a case where um, some of these players are often, you feel, players that like to be able to express themselves, for want of a better word. The likes of Ndombele, and dare I say, even our fullbacks as well at some point. It felt almost like the players were being restricted from this game onwards in terms of what they were capable of. And I know Spurs at this point were still, despite that West Ham game, they still responded. Um, they were still, like I say, in the form of where they were, you know, in the reckoning for a title. You know, we lost to Liverpool and Chelsea in December and our form tailed off. And at that point, Marino was quick to play things down. His claim were that Tottenham were a pony in a horse race. And he was soon to be proven right by the way in which December was a real key month in how Spurs did eventually fall away. But was there any hope for you that, the way he was asking to play would still get results because there was a point where Spurs were getting the results. Lee mentioned there, you know, the likes of the West Brom, the Burnley game, we were grinding these wins out. And it was almost like the fans were accepting that because ultimately it was three points, but it never really felt sustainable, did it? That was the only concern. It never really felt this would be able to be sustained throughout the course of the season, that nature of play. No, it didn't. And, um, you know, for me, you can go to Burnley and West Brom and win in a whole number of ways. It, it's not like Tottenham have to go to Burnley and wait 74 minutes for one shot on target. You know, it's, it's, I know people say, well, we, we, you know, we drew at Burnley last year and we lost the year before, but if you perform properly at Burnley, you beat them because your quality comes through and you should be going to impose your will on Burnley and to find a team that night at Burnley. I was furious that a team that had Kane and Son it had, you know, all the players we talk about. I think Bale was on the bench. Maybe Delhi was on the bench that night. You had Mora. A team like that went to Burnley and set up petrified of Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes. And I'm thinking, what the hell are Tottenham doing here? Purely because we've lost those three goals to West Ham. And, and the same at West Brom. You shouldn't be going to West Brom and trying to hang on for grim death. So I think we could have won those games trying to play proper football. If we'd have gone there and played as we did at Southampton and Man United, we'd have won those games. And I think players knew that. And there was just simply no excuse. But the worrying one for me was where I, where I really had the problem was, was funnily enough, the day that we should celebrate because we beat that lot from down the road. And we, we batted them in the first half. We had the better chances, scored wonderful goals from Kane and Son. And yet in the second half of that game, we played a team that was 14th in the table, let's not forget, 14th going into that game, really struggling. And we never had a shot at goal at home as we hung on to a 2-0 lead. And whilst people forgive that and say, well, it was beating Arsenal, that to me was a really worrying sign that here we are hanging on to a team who's 14th in the table when really at that stage of the season, Arsenal were there for the taking and we could have won that game in the way that we did Man United or Southampton, could have absolutely battered them. And there was no hope of a 3-3 comeback that day. It wouldn't have happened. Those, those types of things happen once a season. It's a freak when it happens. But, all right, we held on and we got the result and everyone was happy. But that, that to me, was a telltale sign that this is how it's going to be for the rest of the season. And, and you know, the, the game against Fulham, I think, was, was what broke most people from it 
when we were one nil up at home to Fulham over Christmas. It was over Christmas, wasn't it? I think the Fulham game. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. were one nil up at home and we hung on for what was it, 70 odd minutes with a bottom three team outplaying us. And it's for Tottenham Hotspur to be hanging on at home to a bottom three team and, and not hanging on because the other team are doing it, but deliberately hanging on was just unforgivable. And it's, it, you know, that's why the season was so disappointing for me. I just want to bring in the, into this concept as well, our FA Cup journey, because it featured yeah. some for the neutral, one of the games of the season. I know you said you thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a game at Goodison Park back in February. It was Spurs who came out on the losing side of a ding-dong battle with Everton in that fifth round. Bernard's extra time strike sealed a 5-4 victory and sent Everton into the quarterfinals at the expense of Mourinho's FA Cup hopefuls. I mean, that was also um, a season where Spurs had comfortable wins over Marine and Wickham even if the 10-1 aggregate scoreline flatters the performances in both of those games. But then um, just in terms of the Everton game, it felt at that moment in February where Mourinho knew he had to change something. He had to do something because the fans were already starting to sense their unease, their displeasure about the way in which we played. And I think in a way, that game itself kind of showed the reason why he wouldn't allow the players to express themselves. Because quite, quite obviously, as we saw, defensively, we just weren't strong enough to be able to hold on to leads and essentially you know, five goals conceded. You know, whatever you think, defensively, Spurs just didn't have the capability to defend. We, we, we didn't. But do you know what? And, and the reason why I come out of that, you know, we talk so much in this country and around the world, actually, but in this country about how good the FA Cup is. It's a special trophy. It's a special tournament. You know, you, you get you get these ding-dong, um, uh, you know, fixtures and, and games. And I know, I know, I suppose Everton and Tottenham weren't underdogs either. You know, it was a Premier League, uh, Premier League clash. But that day, we had 12 shots on target. I, I think that was the first time, even though we scored six against Manchester United, that's the first time we've scored, tw- uh, we, uh, we had 12 attempts on target, on target. 29 shots overall. And this is the sort of football that we were looking at 57% possession that day and over nearly 700 passes, 85% passing accuracy. So, you know, the, the, you know, the, the pure, the pure, your pure bloods, if you like, Jason's, the, the, you know, the me's, the people that want to see us playing that type of football. We played it. We did. And sometimes you just got to put your hands up and go, do you know what? It's a cup tie. And that, that's what can happen in, in the cup. But defending wise, it's, it's been a massive issue all season, you know, and it is being the hokey cokey. And I know, I know I've said this before, but it's who's going to come in, who's going to come out. We've got a Ben Davis in, a regular on out, a regular on in, uh, you know, a, you know, a, um, a, 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 a Ben Davis out. You know, you've got a Sanchez in, you've got an all the world out, you've got a Dyer, oh, he's playing three, da- three games, and then a Sanchez comes in, you've got a bit of Rodon, no, Rodon's not in. It's been like that the whole season. And to be fair, it's been like that for about three seasons. I remember saying it before. You know, to have a stable stability across the back is absolutely crucial. Mm-hmm. You think when we when we done 16-17 season and we run Chelsea close and it was a brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant season for us. Uh, best defensive record in Premier League. I think we did, um, I think we conceded 28 goals from, from memory off the top of my head. And, and we consistently had Hugo Lloris, all of the Tongan, and then he did switch his fullbacks out, really. But we had Rose on the left and Walker on the right, and it was and it was it was solid. I don't think we've had that since properly, Rick. And I think that's been a, pro- a massive problem. We also had, regardless of what we think, and again, all hindsight, but we had a, a Dyer who was a powerhouse in midfield, and we also had a Wanyama. 
so they could drop in and, and make a free when the fullbacks would bomb on and Potts would play this this type of football. And we had a fantastic defensive unit, uh, but we could still go and attack. This time around, we just did not have the no offense to the players. You know, maybe it wasn't coached in that way, but we didn't have the ability to do what Jose wanted them to do. And 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 uh, we didn't want Jose to do that. You know, part of the Boston do all all that stuff, but we just didn't have the ability to do that and soak up that pressure and 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 do them sorts of things. Even a Southampton game, and, and this is what I would say: if you look at every single football match that we've played this season. I think it's a game of two halves, the great Jimmy Greaves once said. And, and, and I think it absolutely was, right? Because you look at Southampton, they were beating us in the first half. We were actually, we, we weren't very good at all. We got out of jail by getting a goal, I think, stroke, stroke half time from memory. And then, you know, in, in the second half, they just left gaps because he's playing a 4 2 2 2 2 or whatever Ralph plays. And we, we battered them. Uh, you know, again, Half time, you know, games that we've dropped uh, points in that we were leading from at half time, and then all of a sudden we come out. We 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 only ever played. It felt like this season sixty minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, Jace, you talk all all the time about Lacelso and Dumbelli not being able to play the whole ninety minutes. I don't think Tottenham as a team can play the whole 90, 95 minutes, and I think that's been the story of our season. We're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, we've got the Europa League journey to discuss. My God, where that ends. We've got to discuss the League Cup final as well, our League Cup journey. We're also discussing the second half of Spurs this season. And, of course, the managerial merry-go-round which Spurs find themselves in. So do not go anywhere. We're back after this very, very short break. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51 powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. Hello and welcome back to the second half of The Last Word on Spurs, providing you with a brief season review. We're not going to absolutely terrify you and go through the whole season and absolutely leave you nerve-shredded by what's to come in the future. We're also discussing the managerial merry-go-round. Who are Spurs going to end up with as their new manager? It remains to be seen. Will it be the return of Maurizio Pochettino? Could we see Antonio Conte, another former Chelsea manager, in the Spurs dugout? That remains to be seen. And one that continues to rumble on, as we recall, at this very moment in time. But, Jace, I want to discuss with you Spurs' Europa League journey. To be fair, we made it through to the group stage with minimal fuss. We scored 16 times as we won four of the six matches. And we then overran Austrian side Wolfsburger to make it to the quarterfinals. It seems it's all going to plan, Jace, against Zagreb after that first leg as Harry Kane fired Spurs to a 2-0 routine. And then the second leg, Jace, the opposing manager is in prison. And a night where really, I think like Lee said, it kind of breaks, well, it, it breaks the ice in terms of Jose Mourinho and everything at Tottenham where this game felt like it was beyond the point of no return for Jose can you just talk us through, Jace, what's going through your mind there? Zagreb go one up, and even at 2-0, you think this can't happen. There's got to be a response. Nothing from the players. You know, was it evident to you beforehand that he was losing that dressing room? And would you say that was the night where really a change in the offing was inevitable from that moment onwards? 
Well, I think I think the first thing to say about that night is we have to remember that was immediately after we stunk out a North London derby. You know, that came straight on the back of that Arsenal game where we were we were so bad that day, so so flat, even though Lamella got his goal of the season that day. You know, it was just a really, really poor derby. And we demanded, I remember on the pod, everyone demanding, we have to respond to this. And then we go to Zagreb and that was our response. And I think I think that was a point, I, I forget what, what Mourinho said after the game, but but it was pretty clear that he'd had enough of them as well. You know, um, it's ridiculous to have lost that tie. I mean, you know, who knows what would have happened if we'd have got past that. That's not just, I mean, Villarreal have just beaten Man United in the final. We probably all expected Man United to win it. So that's not to say even then we'd have beaten Villarreal. But to be knocked out by Zagreb with the, the chaos of a manager being thrown in prison from being 2-0 up, it's just, you know, and, and that, I think, you know, as you say, I think it broke most people because it came on the back of Arsenal when we were in so much need of a response. And, um, you know, the players didn't look like they cared, did they? I mean, I don't blame... I don't blame all the mess of this season on Mourinho. Those players should have had enough professionalism in them to make sure that that didn't happen. And, um, you know, they get caught, they go into extra time and still the penny didn't drop with them. And it was only when we went 3-0 down that you suddenly thought, Christ, we're going out here, that the players kind of put a bit of effort in. But I think that showed the players had, had given up. I think as fans, we more or less gave up that night and thought, this is just, you know, this is a... It's, this is not a crazy train. This is a car crash that's waiting to happen. And um, it was just a, a night that I don't think any of us could would envisage at kickoff that that was going to happen. And uh, and I think it broke a lot of supporters. And I think that was the, the night where we fell out of love with the group of players as well mm. as just the manager as well. I think we realised then that this group's gone and, and so many of them have to go. Also my wife say, said to me, yeah. oh, sorry, I was no, just about to say, my wife said to me, Nicola, my wife said to me that night, um, as we kicked off, she said, um, oh, Tottenham are playing. Are, um, am I going to need a grumpy husband later? I mean, no, 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 don't worry about that. We're, we're tuning up on aggregate, we'll be fine. And we lost. I mean, you could not make this stuff up. And in the end, my, my wife just nudged me. She went, are you grumpy now then? And I went, I, I, honestly, I I've got no words. I, yeah. I totally agree. That for me was a night. Well, I just went, what are we doing as players? Yeah. You know, there's some sort of desire that want to go out and personal pride or professional pride that we were just woeful. A geezer in prison that beats you. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous, Rick. The, I mean, the, the crazy thing about that is, and I, I want you to know how crazy is that, you know, for a club that was in their own disarray, for us to not even show up, and like Jason says there, on the back of a North London derby where Spurs were absolutely awful, you know, Key moments again in the season. I kind of, I feel like I've kind of gone past one. Also, that I've got to mention as well Anfield and um, that Liverpool game because I just wonder, Lee, coming over to you that night, Spurs were in a position where beat Liverpool, or I think, like I say, we're we're in a position where Spurs would go top of the Premier League. I want to just go back to that for a moment because I wonder, just as a group of players, again, Jen, Jason mentions how he fell out of love with the group on the back of that result in Zagreb, but the Liverpool one at Anfield Lee, is unique because you just think. From that night, how many of those players almost then just kind of gave up on Mourinho's philosophy and what he was trying to implement? But what, what's so bizarre about that, right? This is the 12th game of the season, right? We're top of the league, joint top of the league, but we are top on goal difference uh, above Liverpool. Um, 
we'd only lost one game each, right, so far during that season. And that was obviously our first game of the season against Everton. Um, and Delhi got hauled off half-time. But I don't think we've seen him since in the Premier League. And we actually had the best defensive record in the Premier League at this point. So, again, like Jason said, I don't want to be looking at hindsight. I'm looking at, at going into this game. We are top of the league. We've got the best defensive record in the Premier League. We're scoring goals. Not, hasn't got the most, most goals. Ironically, Liverpool did. But we've got a really good record going into this game at Anfield. And, and to be fair, that game at Anfield, we didn't die. We didn't like roll over and get absolutely ruined. But, but we didn't play brilliant. We didn't play on the front foot. It was a classic Jose scenario. But um, Stevie Bergwijn could have, could have he hit the post and he could have scored as well. And, and we didn't. And we got killed by a Bobby 90-whatever-it-was, second-minute uh, header and winner from a bloody set-piece as well, Tottenham. I mean, come on. but that And for whatever reason, Rick, that just absolutely just took the stuffing out of everybody. And I, I actually think that was, in the season, a sliding doors moment. For some reason, we just couldn't get ourselves back to where we are and what we're doing. Something happened. Did somebody have a row? You know, internally, was there something going on that we'll never know and we'll never know? But for some reason, our performances of, of, of after that, just they just dropped off. I mean, we had the game before that, I think it was against Crystal Palace or a couple of games before that, it was against Crystal Palace and we drew 1-1. Yep. And we should have also, again, we had seven or eight shots on target that day, but we didn't wake up. Um, we we a, went 1-0 up. It was a period, wasn't it, where we weren't converting. Yeah. The, the yeah, exactly that. that was, it, yeah, it exactly. started from Palace onward. These were the games it, where we, we were dropping them. Exactly. We went 1-0 up, yep. sat back, as we normally do, as Jace rightly said. Dodgy free kick. Again, it's just from memory listening, so forgive me, but we gave away a dodgy free kick down the left-hand side, down yep. our right-hand side, their left-hand side. Yep. All whipped in, bang, header, 1-1. And then all of a sudden, when it went 1-1, we started playing again. I mean, we did this against Jose first time, but like the first season against Man City. Uh, so against Liverpool, went one down and all of a sudden started playing. And I think that's J been Jason's point, isn't it, Jace, for, throughout the season and before is, well, why can't we just play like that to begin with? And we, we, we did we did give him a bit of a, I think, the, the, forgive me, listeners, I can't remember their goalkeeper's name, Palace's, but he had a worldie, right? He had a worldie that day. And it was ironic that the next game, I think, that, that Palace played was Liverpool and Liverpool battered him 7-0 and the geezer couldn't save a penny. He, he, he couldn't save anything. You you could have given him a beach ball when he couldn't save it. Um, uh, yeah, against us, he had an absolute worldie. But that's that's sometimes football and that's how things go. But when we played Liverpool at Anfield, it, for me, it was a mentality thing that just crushed us. From that point, we were we were done. And it was, it, it was bizarre. The, the, if you look at the results that we went on over the next, next six, seven games or so, we were awful and we were top of the league going into that game week. It's just bizarre, isn't it? It is. I mean, Jace, can you put your finger on just, just what happened from Anfield onwards? I know, I know it's difficult to pinpoint one game, but, you know, we pinpointed West Ham earlier where there was a change in the expanse of football. That Liverpool game, it almost, like as Lee said there, you know, the, the mentality of this group just fell apart. I mean, how do you try and understand or comprehend how one game can change the course of a season for a group of players and, you know, a manager that's put so much effort into try and get these players into a position where they're believing, you know, Spurs weren't top of the league for a week. They weren't top of the league, you know, for, for two weeks. They were top of the league for, you know, for a good period of time, longer than what they've ever been for, you know, we're talking years here. So, I mean, what do you think happened at Anfield to really knock the stuffing out of these players and almost, should I say, just no longer believe in the methodology they were being 
at all. I don't think it, it was just on that night. I think that night brought it maybe brought it to a head for some of them. I think, you know, going to Anfield for us, you know, when we talk about tough places to go, that's one where I will say it's a tough place. You know, we won there three times since 1912 or something. You know, even the great Bill Nick never managed to win at Anfield. So uh, we know that's a, a nightmare fixture for us. Um, but the thing was, Liverpool weren't looking as good as they were. I think that night they had, didn't have a young lad making his debut at centre-half all night. Yeah, I think yeah. they did. Um, you know, Fabinho wasn't in midfield, things like that. There was there was already talk that, you know, Firmino or Jota and, and things like that. So, and I think it's worth remembering, Liverpool then, I don't think, won, a, won any of their next seven home games. They lost, they drew with West Brom, they lost at home to Brighton. They, you know, they couldn't win at home after. Even Fulham went there and won. So, you know, we didn't seem to recognise that, yes, it's Liverpool and Anfield, but this is not the normal Liverpool and Anfield scenario. Liverpool were already stuttering. They'd lost 7-2 at Villa and things like that. So they clearly weren't the same the same Liverpool that had dominated the league for, for the last year and almost the year before that. And I think just an accumulation of, of the fear factor of collapsing with West Ham, collapsing with Palace, or not collapsing with Palace, but throwing Palace away, looking like we could get a... Um, we were turgid in that first half. Let's be sure we we scored with our only shot. In fact, about the only time we got in their half, wasn't it? So, you know, it was as if we were paralysed by fear going there. We didn't recognise the opportunity that was in front of us, and um, and we uh, we had those couple of chances with Bergvine, but we sat back and we sat back and we sat back. And you know, sometimes you know, as much as we say that. We go to Everton, for instance, we let in five and that's why we can't play on the front foot. But the, the sitting back for so long in games, if you can't defend because you're making individual mistakes, have the ball in the opposition half. You'll make less. You still make them, but you'll make less. If you can't defend set pieces, don't sit back and concede seven or eight corners a game and five or six free kicks around your box. Get up the other end of the pitch and if you give a foul away near their corner flag, they're unlikely to score from there. But it was as if we were petrified of our weaknesses and instead we were actually highlighting our weaknesses. And yeah, um, sure enough, we gave the set piece, or I think it was a late corner, wasn't it, for me? It was a late corner, yeah. Um, yeah late yeah. corner. Mm. Yet again, you think, we can't defend at set pieces. We don't go with runners. Yeah. And uh, and there enough, he more or less had a free header, didn't he, I think, for me? Yeah, yeah. And um, it was no surprise when it happened. No surprise you know whatsoever. I think just after that, we did we did exactly the same. I think a week later at Wolves, didn't we? Yeah. Went one more. Yeah. Got battered at Wolves, sat back, sat back, sat back. Thought we were getting away with it. Conceded a late corner. And I think it was Sice that day that got in with it. And you think, why why are we persisting in doing this? A week week later, we did it at Fulham. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. A couple of weeks later, at home to Liverpool again. What's interesting, the eight games that followed that that game before the Anfield, before the game kicked off at Anfield, we were top of the league and we've just talked about that. The eight games following that game, we had three wins in the Premier League. That was it. The draws, the losses and that sitting back and we couldn't defend. And that that is where the, the crazy train really came off the rails. The train were falling off the rails. I was shoveling coal trying to get the thing back on track, but it just weren't, weren't happening. And, 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 you know, we had a couple of cup games in there. We had uh, the Stoke win when Delhi got absolutely vilified for for causing a, uh, apparently causing a goal that was about four, four hours after. Um, we had the, uh, the Wickham game 
that was again it was a four-one win and Dumbella, if you remember, come off the bench and done some some done some bits. But before that, that was even a struggle as well. And and we just wasn't playing flowing f- uh, football, fluid football. I think we taught Leeds a lesson uh, at, the, at the turn of the year uh, and beat them three um, nil at, at the time. But they come back to haunt us later on in the season when it really mattered. I, I just the, the the disjointedness, something changed. And I don't think we'll ever know what it is unless Jose kind of comes out and says something. But we something changed within that group of players that that night at Anfield was definitely a mentality shift for me. Yeah, Lee, you bring up. I the think league. as well. I think as well. It's you know there was there was obviously something going on with the group because Jose made the point. I think it was at Sheffield United when he gave his interview pre-match, and he said, "Do you think I'm telling them to sit back?" And uh, it was very. You know, the, the, the criticism was really high. Then I, I remember him giving that interview, I think, to Laura Woods. Do you think I'm telling them to sit back as if to say, no, we're not doing that? And I think Kane came out afterwards and said, no, we're not. We're not. You know, he's not telling us to sit back. And yet after that Fulham game, I think both Hoiberg and Sissoko had said, we have got to stop sitting back. So, you know, if, if he wasn't telling them to sit back, why the hell were they doing it? And if they were doing it off their own backs, yeah. why did he continue to pick players that were disobeying what he was telling them? This was a strange so, moment, Chase. The mixed messages were just so bizarre. Mixed the messages bizarre. Yeah, yeah. and mixed the messages. And, and you know, yeah. he, 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 I think himself said a couple of times, "Yeah, we're we're a boring side. That's why we've only scored seventy odd goals this season. We've scored five so many times and things." But you thought you're missing it, Jose. Yeah. You're missing it. You know, it, we are boring to watch. Our own supporters are bored watching us. Yeah. And, uh, and and we're bored watching us because of the times we sit back and don't grasp a game by the scruff of the neck. What, what yeah. followed after that, of course, we're going to bring the League Cup into it because it was a domestic fun tour of London for Spurs. They took out Leighton Norian via a buy there. Chelsea and Brevard on their way too. And a, a good, to be fair, that Chelsea game, whatever you say, it was, a, it was lovely to win on penalties against Chelsea. I know it was, it, it didn't amount to anything, but it was, an, it, was a, it was a great penalty shootout. It's just a shame it didn't end in a trophy. I think the most bizarre thing for Spurs was, you know, to hire a man that's a serial winner and to sack him six days, sack him six days before a cup final and appoint him with a alternative coach, should I say, in Ryan Mason that had never managed a game in his life, should I say, at the professional level. Obviously, I know he's managed as a, as a you know, as, a, as, as an under-18, under-19 coach, but to bring him into Tottenham where he never, like I say, I say he was managing the, coach, the, the lads, but I think it's a very difficult position for him, um, one that he could never really have turned down. And, you know, I just want to reflect on a second before we talk about Ryan Mason in terms of Jose, because it was highly disciplined defensive football, which started out really, really well. I think we've got to say, in terms of Mourinho, we've got to give him credit because he did create a telepathic bond between Harry Kane and Hummin Son. And as we mentioned, however, that passive approach saw Spurs drop numerous points throughout the campaign that in the end, I think himself, he would say, couldn't really rescue that season for Tottenham, which led to the appointment of Mason. But we've got to be able to say, boys, that League Cup final... It was a bit of a crazy week. We've got a new manager. Um, Spurs had just tried to enter the European Super League. Then they had to regrettably come out of the European Super League after the absolute fury that it caused. Lee, did you ever go into that week confident we could get a result against Man City? And your feelings after that game and the way Spurs had set up, bearing in mind we thought there was going to be at least a bit more of an expansive approach following Jose's exit. Yeah, I mean, look, 
I mean, there's there's three things that have really, really got my goat this uh, this season from the board. Um, the the first one was furlough. I mean, utter PR disaster, utter decisions that they're doing, having to reverse them uh, during that whole furlough piece. What uh, why it's at the beginning, certainly this year. Um, the European Super League. I mean, I, I, yes, there's been an apology of sorts, but still, for me, is not is not where it where it needs to be. Um, I don't think they've ever addressed that. 60 quid for an Aston Villa ticket. I mean, me, me and the lads, we all went into the ballot. We all cancelled the ballot um, because we were like, we ain't doing that. And that was our little way of uh, um, of, of protest, if, if that makes sense, you know, in in, uh, in the way that we do things. Um, and then sacking Jose six days before cup final. Because, you know, for me, that was money motivated. I'm absolutely convinced. I don't know this, but I'm absolutely convinced that he was on a some sort of cup win bonus um, that would have meant that uh, the club would have had to pay him out more money. Um, I think that they'd made a decision that he probably wasn't going to be their long-term manager moving forward. And therefore, they decided to cut ties with him before, in case he won a trophy. And that might have been... Two million, three million could have been five million bonus, but I'm absolutely convinced that he was on a he was on a cut bonus. Um, Jose Mourinho um, is is only one of two men now because Tuchel's just done it to beat Pep Guardiola in a cup final. Like no, no one else has done it, and 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 you know although the football was turgid, although the football was um, you know strained and some of the relationships are strained and so on and so forth. And I've said it before and I say it again. There's probably three men or three people that you would want in charge of your football club in the cup final, and Jose would be one of them. So to sack him six days before, and I know, he, you know, even all of all of, all of people that we have on our show and, you know, all, all the contributors and everyone, we don't all agree on this, but to sack him six days before cup final is utterly mad. It's madness. And it can only be, in my opinion, money orientated. So, you know, at this point, talking about that, the board thing, they've made some absolute woeful decisions over the last 12 to 18 months. And that, that is one of them. Um, and look, it, nothing might have been different. You know, we, we, might, we might not have, we might have sat back, we might have parked the bus, might have had seven people at the back with Jose rather than five or whatever it was. But, you know, we got absolutely hammered in that cup final, regardless of Ryan Mason or not. And, and like you said, 29 years old, you know, got the club at heart. You know, he's one of our own. I respect him completely. Um, and for stepping up, it's not his fault. Like, he's had to... Think, think about Ryan Mason. He's stepped into... He's, he's had a cup final to deal with within yeah. six days of being appointed. Then he's had to, like, try and get our European track... Um, our European uh, um, uh, road, if you like, on track. Mm. Um, and, and he hasn't been able to do that. And then and now Harry Kane's come out, by the way, as his best mate, come out and said, yeah... Potentially, I want to go and play with Kevin De Bruyne and want to leave. And all the questions he's had in his press conferences have been about that. John, I, mean, I, feel, like, I feel sorry for him. I don't, I, I don't think, looking back at the last few weeks' shows where we've been discussing the games, maybe not enough time has been dedicated to Ryan and just the job he had to come into. And you mentioned the points there, Jace. You know, for Mason, really, it hadn't been a disaster that many predicted. You know, two defeats in the last five league matches. It did bury any residual hopes that they would be able to make the Champions League. But when Leeds, like says there, when you look what he had to come into, they come into the European Super League, then come out, cup final round the corner, Harry Kane wants to leave, and players we know are unhappy, you know, for example, Ori has just come out only, like I say, today as we recorded on the Sunday to say, um, it feels like it's the end of the cycle for him, he wants to go. Clearly, like I say, there's a dressing room, many players unhappy. It's a tough, tough job to come into, 
So if I was going to ask you, Jace, to kind of analyse Ryan Mason's very short period in charge, what would you say? Because many would kind of look at it and think maybe he's been a bit tactically weak at times. You know, there's been uh, that kind of phrase used that it's Ryan mates on in terms of, you know, a lot of his friends he's been selecting. How would you describe the job that he had to walk into and what he actually ended up doing, Jace? Well, I'll come to that. If, but if I can just talk about the week leading mm. up to it. Please do. You know, you all know I despise... Mourinho never wanted him. But the one job that he was brought in to do, he then gets sacked on the eve of doing it. It's only Tottenham could do that. Only Tottenham could do that. And it, it you know, I was glad to see the back of him, don't get me wrong, but you thought, surely not this week. And whether the club thought, if we win it, we can't sack him. Or as Lee says, if we win it, we have to pay him a bonus. That is putting the glory. That is not putting the glory of the club first, is it? Totally. It's not. And the, the frustration is, if Tottenham Hotspur decided that they didn't want to pay him a bonus, we have to remember that the night we sacked him, we were in the Super League, about to earn millions and millions and millions. And there, what was it, three hundred million promised per season or something? So even if we'd have paid him a two or three million bonus we'd have still had 298 million in the bank from the Super League. So, you know, to, to throw away a trophy to save 2 million when you're going to get 300 million for a Super League is, is absolutely ridiculous. OK, 48 hours later, we were kicked out of a Super we were We weren't in a Super League. But the day we made that decision to sack him, we made that in the, in the belief we were in the Super League. I think the other thing was that's why Mason took it over. In that if you looked at it now, you'd have gone for a more experienced man and thought, look, maybe you'd have brought a Redknapp or a Hoddle or someone in just to... Just, we may not have done better, but you'd have felt safer in those hands. But I think, I think the decision was made, look, we don't have to finish top four. We can actually finish 15th and we're in the Super League. So let's just give Ryan the job, be nice, safe hands to the end of the season... Uh, hopefully lift the mood, lift the confidence of the players, and that's it. So they were the circumstances that gave Mason the job. I think it was incredibly difficult for him with no managerial experience. As you said, he came into a team that was flat on confidence with a, with a cup final first against City that were always going to dominate the ball. But we didn't show up in that cup final. That's, that's the thing. You, you hoped the players would have got a lift from it. But it looked like a Jose Mourinho side that we'd seen for months beforehand, didn't it? We have what took one shot on target in a, in a cup final. And, um, you know, we, we stunk a cup final out yet again. Didn't deserve anything from a cup final. Uh, only Hugo, if I remember right, he came out with, with much credit. And even on the day, the likes of Hoiberg and that, that had, had decent seasons, just had poor games. Jace, so, can I ask you, Jace, just on that point, though, do you think also it takes a while for players to come out of what they've been taught over a period? Because I think many says about United, where because of the Mourinho factor, it takes a while for players then to try and get used to a different style of play. It's all about a player saying, you know, take the shackles off. It's a training thing. I think that's a training thing. It takes time, right? It takes time to be yeah, able to I think adjust. That's a, that's a physical thing rather than mm. also a mental thing. I yeah. think that is a, a coaching, a training thing, yeah. intensity in training, how, you know, how big it was or how, how high intensity he had been versus how low it might have been, you know, in terms of intensity. If you're going out there and just working on certain things all the time, but you're not high intensity, when you go into a cup final situation and you're trying to change that, 
that that for me, that's why you have to go in with the mentality that you was with six days before. That to give you the best possible position. Do you get what I mean? So I think I think you're right, but I think it's I think it's a, a physical thing as well as a mental thing. So it's not just about um uh oh you can't overnight just unravel what you've just been taught for the last eight, nine months. You know, that that's difficult to do in one game scenario. You can't switch it on and switch it off. No, but you, you do see clubs have a new manager bounce as well. So so clubs can do it. I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not I've never been I've never been angry we lost that final. We went into it as underdogs. Manchester City are a magnificent side despite last night. They, the likelihood is they'd have won that game. So it wasn't an annoying that we lost the game. It was the fact that we were so insipid on the day to have just one shot in a cup final. We just watched the whole cup final go past us. Yeah, Sonny pro, on the... Pro, I mean, Sonny... Sonny, Sonny was playing well going into that game. He was horrendous on the day. Absolutely horrendous. It started with a back pass, didn't it, where he almost let yeah. City in. Yeah, and yeah. from that moment on, his game disintegrated. And he, by the end, he didn't even want the ball. And you're thinking, what? You know, you, you've just got a new manager to give you a bit of lift and confidence. And you, you've gone into your shell even more. So I, I get what you're saying, Lee. I think, you know, the intensity and things, that, that will show through. But teams do have a bounce. And... It just, it's just so sad that to, to watch a cup final completely drift you by and feel like when the final whistle went, you, you didn't even play a cup final. You just yeah. played a no, training game. I, That's all it was. I know, I know this is hindsight, and this is the thing about the whole Harry Kane thing, which we'll get into in a bit. You know, I'll go there, guarantee trophies. And yes, they did win two trophies. But you look at Man City last night in the in Champions League final, they have one shot on target. This is Man City, one shot on target in a cup final, in a final. Do you know what I mean? Like this is this is again. We've talked about as us three in particular in so many shows gone by. Fine margins. You know, if 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 something happens, if if somebody it's, um, drops a shoulder and just does something special, this is what I couldn't understand why we're, we're dropping Gareth Bale. This is a guy that again, Jose Mourinho was brought to the club to win trophies. Yet he gets fired or sacked six days before. Gareth Bale was brought to the club to bring experience in winning cup finals. That's exactly why he was back. He won four Champions League finals, two seasons, three seasons ago, virtually to the day, a couple of days ago. He's doing an overhead kick to win the Champions League, and we drop him for the Carabao Cup. I mean, you could not make this stuff up, Rick, Jace. I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous. Uh, people sit and say, "Oh, he never, he ain't done it for through through good teams or this, that, and the other." Whatever the narrative fits, the fact of the matter is, Gareth Bale is still one of the world-class players or, you know, a super, superstar Listen, player. 16 goals from the wing this season final. for Tottenham. I think it's Ridiculous. Been, yeah. 20 appearances in yeah. the Premier League, 11 goals. Mm. You know, this is the best, this is the best ratio. Yep. Better than you know, the Cavani's, better than um, uh, um, Rashford's, better than yeah. uh, Bruno Martial, Fernandes, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, Martial's, mm. all of these people in mm. terms of ratios. Yeah. giving him more cut and then what you do is you turn around and go do you know what I'm going to drop you for the cut final or or maybe he goes I can't play it because my body's not good enough this has been the problem with Tottenham no consistency every week going out there with a different team every single week yeah. every single week a different back four every single week something different in midfield mm. because we haven't got that ability that mentality to go I'm having it. I'm going to go again. Yeah. This is why Kane gets the ump. Kane's got the mentality. Kane has it. He wants to be a Ronaldo. Sure, he yeah, wants to be a Messi. Yeah. 
You with me, Rick? James? Yeah, the, the, this, the problem is, is how many more does like Kane? And it's the problem, isn't it? It's, it's a real difficult one. We've got to say, uh, Spurs winning over Leicester on the final day was a real source of some form of optimism. It was a game where really you've got to say, Leicester beating Leicester and the way we did it, I thought we played ever so well. Now, looking back on it, you know, a week later, Lee, you watched the highlights, like you said again uh, this morning. You know, it's a shame where that Tottenham had been all season. You know, finished okay eighth. We've got into some form of, you know, Europe. However that will be, we'll wait to peter out. But I think it's time to wrap this up and give, let's say, some of the awards out for this season. So we'll do some quick fire ones, guys, to kind of go through them. Player of the season. I presume this will be pretty, pretty simple. Jason, I'll come over to you. Your player of the season. Player of the season is who should have been the football of the year. Harry Kane. Head and shoulders. Best player in the Premier League all year by a long, long way. Best goal scorer, best yeah. assister. Mm. Um, deserved so much more than he got from the season. You know, I've, I've always thought he was the best striker in the Premier League. This year, he was the best player in the Premier League and was was comfortably the best player. And uh, so, I mean, if he's the best player in the Premier League, he's certainly the best player at Tottenham, that's for sure. Lee, come over to you. 23 goals, 14 assists, as a total of goal involvement, 50 in all competitions. I presume he's also your player of the season? I mean, it's not even a conversation, is it, lads? I mean, he's been absolutely... I mean, he's world-class for me. Yeah. I know Cracker said that he's still got a bit to go last pod, but he, he for me, he's world-class. He does. He's a Royal Rovers for Tottenham. He's one of our own. And when he starts questioning the, the club... That's when that's when it becomes really like it's it's not frustrating or angry. It's actually upsetting. It's actually upsetting. The custodian of this football club has a duty to keep the best players. He's a royal of our royal royal of overs, mate. For, for top Mosby, that is what he is. Yeah, yeah, and and he he is the guy, and he has been. I mean. The snubs that he gets from from other people, other media, and this that and other. Maybe it is maybe it is a prejudice, an unconscious prejudice, because he plays for Tottenham, and maybe it's because Tottenham aren't good enough. Maybe it's because Tottenham don't win anything. I don't know what it is, but if he was in red of Manchester United, or if he was in red of Liverpool, if he, God forbid, is going to be in any of them, or if he goes Man City, I mean, the guy is. I can't say we've said it so many times on this show, haven't we, listeners? I can't yeah. say anything else about the bloke. He is mm. just. Absolutely unbelievable, and uh, you know, I hope to God he, he stays with our football club because I love him. I genuinely love him. Is I think you know, I've, I've I'm not um, I've been a Tottenham fan since 1987, the Coventry FA Cup final, and I've seen some wonderful talent in, in our in, in our shirt. But he's up there. He's he's the best I've seen for, yeah. for sure. And I want him to stay 100. percent I think also we've mentioned a Pierre Hoybier. I think you know you look at him. I think he's had a, a fairly decent season. Started off like an was, absolute train, didn't he? You know, I just think it, it, yeah, he caught the Tottenhamitis towards the end. Absolutely knackered. No alternative. He was knackered, mate. Yeah, yeah I, he was my higher. He was my higher of the season. Yeah. So yeah. you know, like, and you go when Jace earlier talked about the transfer window and whatever. Yeah. Bow some impact, you know, regular on in spurts, mm. whatever this out and the other. Doherty's yeah. probably been a bit, um, you know, disappointing. But I think Hoiberg's been outstanding. I think I think it was an eight eight out of ten, nine out of ten every week for the yeah. first twenty weeks of the Premier League. I mean, and again, it's because of the club to a certain degree letting him down because they haven't got the players around him to give him a rest. Yeah. I think he, he played every single minute of every single game in the Premier League this season. It's the only one to do that. I also think Jason probably agree. Jason, he was doing obviously two or three people's jobs at one time, Hoybier. So it's very hard to ask a player to have that amount of consistency over the course of the season when he's having to do so much every single game without a rest. It's been tricky, hasn't it, for him? 
Yeah, and he ran out of legs probably with a with a month of the season to go, but that's to be expected. And and that's what I mean. We we have to learn the lessons of this season and think we can't ask a player to do that job 38 times. I think he ended up playing what every minute of every game. Yeah. Uh, and if you're gonna do that, you you can't be playing cup games in the week. And in a strange way, that all that impacts on fans that demand a trophy. So you want your best team to play in trophy games, in which case you have to rotate in some of the Premier League games and you have to run the risk of dropping points doing that. So it, it's interesting to see which way fans want to go in that respect. But he, he can't play 38 games like that next season. No. And uh, hopefully that's that's the role that Oliver Skip will come in and, and be, a, will be a big boost for us within that. Quick fire, boys. We're going to go through and have a quick break in a second to discuss the next manager. Very quickly, goal of the season. I don't want to probably talk about the game too much, but I think it's going to be Lamellas against Arsenal. I know there'll be pretty shouts that they're one of Kane's great goals as well. Very quickly, goal of the season, Lee, over to you. What were you going to go for? I mean, the audaciousness of doing that again. I mean, he's done it twice. It's not a fluke, so we know we can do it. And to, to go and do that in an North London derby, and I know, again, hindsight, we didn't win the game and we were woeful and whatever, but... It was an outrageous piece of skill from Eric Lamella to um to, to get a goal. So I think I think it's probably up there for me. Um I, I I also did like the Kane Son, I mean, massive combinations that he did, certainly against Southampton, but against Arsenal as well when when um Son scored that. It was an absolute ping um uh, against the Gunas uh, at home, and that was a nice one for me. Jason, obviously you also got to mention the uh, Kane goal versus Palace at home was a great finish as well. What what would you go for for you as the goal of the season? Yeah, I think the two in that North London derby, but I'm going to go left field in a weird way. My favourite goal this season was Keynes at Leicester okay. because it meant it yeah. meant he won the golden boot yeah. and he had something to show for his season that he so thoroughly deserved. And uh, no, it probably wasn't the most pleasing one on the aisle. That's still a good finish. Yeah. But it, it just gave him the boot that he so richly deserved from this season. And when we've we've ended up, disappointing in so many ways this season, yep. he grabbed something that he fully deserved. And that's why, for me, that's the best goal of the season. Totally agree. We've also got a sandwich in here as well. Hugo Lloris, the double stop versus Southampton. That's got to be up there as, you know, Lloris, a, a crucial... Uh, that was ridiculous. We've got to, make, we've ridiculous. Got to mention that because it was a great double Yeah, that double was a ridiculous double yeah. save. Absolutely ridiculous. And, yeah. and to be fair to Hugo as well, again, he takes a lot of stick on mm. social media, mainly Twitter, to be fair, everyone. I think we all know what doesn't. You know, Twitter can be. Uh, exactly. Uh, who doesn't? But um, no, I think, um, you know, I think he's also been fantastic. And to mm. be fair to Jose, I think he got better when Jose come in through the doors I think uh, Hugo got back to his best I think also I've got to mention on Hugo I think that's what he did do in a way he made him stop having to play out from the back he allowed Hugo to actually you know distribute better up the field and I think that thank God thank God for, <laughs> thank God for all of us right, moment, of the, <laughs> yeah. moment of the season boys we're going to wrap these up very very quickly moment of the season I think for me it's got to probably be Gareth Bowles returning home goal against Brighton I think that'll probably be for me the moment of the season there's not been too many really to jump up about Jace for you moment of the season you probably said the ending knowing you yep moment of the season was the final whistle at Leicester <laughs> and and we could put it away sweep it under the carpet reset the club and start again and uh, sounds ridiculous doesn't it I mean mm. winning 6-1 at Man United was was yeah. is, is up there I mean you don't go you don't go away from home and win no, 6-1 too often mm. but to go to Old Trafford and win 6-1 yeah. was was extraordinary and, and you know that's definitely the game of the season in, in that respect but but no, you know, I'd spent so many months waiting for the end of the season that when it finally came, it was a relief. And, uh, <laughs> and it's a miserable way to finish, but that is my favourite moment of the season, blowing that whistle at Leicester. Yeah. Lee, 
favourite moment for you of the season? So, so a couple of ones that are a bit like uh, maybe we forget. With um, I actually quite enjoyed um, uh, the hat trick uh, that uh, Gareth Bale scored uh, recently because you know uh, Gareth Bale come back to his football club for me. I think everybody knows from the listeners I banged on about the bang back Bale drum for so long. So for him to come back and put Tottenham shirt on again and do that, um, scoring uh, eleven goals and uh, twenty Premier League appearances. Um, for, for me was was good 16 goals as you said for, from, from the wing um, you know him actually coming back and looking at the Kane and Bale and Son front three I mean we were mega excited I think they ended up scoring in all competitions 70 goals between the three of them 22 assists uh, this season which again bad, how, how have we finished no but how have we finished where have we finished because yeah. of that in the Premier League I think it was 51 or 52 goals they scored yeah. in the Premier League between the three of them come on lads you've got to chip in where's the defenders chipping in with set pieces to score headers where's the midfield uh, um, players coming in you yeah. know what I mean I gave Lucas Moore a little bit of stick on, on, on social media earlier because you know, he was really happy with his season and he scored you know three goals in the Premier League you know, this is not good enough for for some for somebody coming in. He played more minutes than uh, than Gareth Bale did. So, you know, I think people, Stephen Bergwijn, uh, and Dembele was a really nice moment for me. And again, again, it was against Wickham Wanderers. So forgive me, because you know, uh, bless Wickham. But you know, the the, the two goals that he scored um, in the final minutes of uh, against Wickham Wanderers were outstanding. One of them goals that Ndombele scored again. Brilliant, brilliant goal. The goal that he scored was it against Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Um, yeah. Unbelievable goal. Unbelievable goal. So, this is the frustration. So, some nice moments to see. Yeah. Um, 6 1 that obviously Jason uh, mentioned as well. But Gareth Bale coming back, I honestly. I remember where I was. I was actually at Harry Potter World with my children that day. And I kept looking at my phone, looking at my phone, and it's coming back and Bale is back and the number nine on his shirt. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like, mm. I cannot believe this is happening for, for us. Yep. Um, and I, I really hope that he stays. I really hope that he needs another season. With a full house, Gareth Bale oh, probably scores 15 goals, 16 goals in the Premier League. Most improved player, boys, to wrap this up. Most improved player of the season. Been a difficult season, so I'm not... Is there a most improved player for you, Jason? At one point, many maybe would have said Ondombele. Um In the last few months, maybe that's petered out by the lack of games that he's had. Who would you give that tag to? Is there anybody you give that tag to? <sighs> uh, do you know what? I'm going to go Kane. Because he took his game to new levels this year. Mm, great point. You know, the the, uh, the dropping into mid... We, we all knew he could play a pass we've seen it we've seen it in the past with you know some some wonderful passes from Kane um I remember one against I think it was in Huddersfield wasn't it at Wembley where Sonny got in with a header type of thing but to see Kane do Harry Kane played two positions this year he was the best number 10 in the Premier League and he was the best number nine in the Premier League so actually I think Harry got to new levels this year beyond what anyone really thought he would do and to hear him on that documentary saying he still wants to get to Messi Ronaldo levels. He still thinks he can score 60, 70 goals a season. Is is ridiculous. And I think perhaps if, you know, when he talks about Kevin De Bruyne, if we could find a genuine number 10 for him, he probably would score 60, 70 goals a season. He's that good. So I'm actually going to say Harry Kane, even for that, most improved player. And he he was our superstar player before this season. But like I say, new levels this year. Lee, over to you. Most improved uh, player. I, 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 I think it's a fantastic shout and I, and I do agree with that. But my most improved player is Son for the same reasons. I mean, 17 okay. Premier League goals. 
10 Premier League assists. Mm. Uh, he's got 22 goals uh, across all competitions and 10 assists. Is the, only, um, is the only point you make on Son Lee for you to get to that level that Kane's at is just going to be consistent for the season? Is that what you'd argue? Well, what I'm saying is that, you know, he only got double figures in goals before and now he's got 17. Yeah. He's, he's only hit double figures a couple of times, like 10s in terms of Premier League goals. And he's scored some important goals in the past, you know, quarterfinal against uh, against uh, Man City in the Champions League um, and so on and so forth. But f- your question was most improved player. I, I think I'm with Jace because Kane went to new levels this year. Yeah. Yeah. The highest amount of assists Kane ever got in the Premier League was three. He mm. got 14. But if you look at Son, the highest amount of goals he ever got in the Premier League was like 10 or 11. He's gone to 17. You know, he's got 10 assists as well. Them two this year at times were unplayable uh, in, in, in between the two of them. I mean, you know, that Southampton game, I'll keep going back to when Son scored four. Ridiculous. So for me, most improved is either Kane or Son. And, you know, there's an argument for both or good debate about both of them. But they have gone to different levels, mate, no doubt. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I say, we'll leave that debate open to our listeners. We're going to go for our final break of the show. When we return, we've got to discuss the managerial merry-go-round, the speculation. We'll be having our say on who Spurs are going to appoint as their next manager. They're not going anywhere. We're back after our final break of the show. Hello and welcome back to the third and final part of the last one on Spurs. Now, before we discuss the managerial merry-go-round, Spurs have released a couple of players, or should I say players, out of contract. We've seen a whole host of actually players of the Spurs women's mass clear out there. If only Spurs could do that in the first team, we actually might have you know a position where it would be ready for the new manager. But before we do, we're actually going to recognise one of the Spurs players that you know is departing us after a very, very long time. He's Cause some controversy, should we say, in, on these shows and definitely, like I say, um, on Spurs Twitter and social media. And that's Danny Rose, been with the club for over 10 years, leaves the club out of contract. I'm sure if many of you had been listening to the last one on Spurs for a long, long time, you'll remember some of the debates we had on the Love Sports shows. You know, Danny Rose, Jason's favourite rants, famous rant, should I say, at the time. Jace, any departing words for Danny Rose? Because we actually saw him this week giving a team talk, probably expiring from his contract um, to some of the youngsters at Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was actually a very nice touch. Any words you want to say on Danny Rose? Um, I wish him all the best. I genuinely do. I mm. hope he finds peace and happiness away from Tottenham. Yeah. Um, as do we all as well. We need some happiness away from Tottenham. We, well, we will always remember his his debut goal. That that's a memory that will live on for forevermore. That's a, a goal that we'll still be showing on the video screens in thirty years time and things. So, and and it's worth remembering that there was a period in his time at Tottenham when he was he was the best left back in the league. Was yep. uh, was fantastic to watch. Um, but I think sadly for us, he the injury at Sunderland which was what, six, was that 2016? I can't remember now, January 2016 or whatever, where, where he then spent seven or eight months out. He never came back the same player. And I think it, it cost him his move. I think Pep wanted him and Walker and would have gone for Rose over Walker, thinking, well, it's easier to get a right back than a left back. And I think Danny never quite recovered from the disappointment of missing out what he thought he, he should have had. And then the newspaper article that came out was was the beginning of the end for Danny Rose. And it's sad to see that he never quite, he was never able to get to those levels again. The mobility, the same way as Victor Wanyama couldn't after a horrific yeah. knee injury. If you have a bad knee injury, it, it's it's a serious one. And uh, Virgil van Dijk may well find that out 
as well next season and not be the same player. But it was difficult for him. And and as I say, we then got the he went into himself and, and we got the problems behind the scenes. And he's he's alone at Newcastle that he thought gives him football. Newcastle didn't want him. And and it's said that said the way that the last three or four years has has gone for him. But I genuinely, you know, I remember you tweeting out, don't sell Danny Rose and and I said at the time, it's not the Danny Rose we know. And suddenly, mm, I yeah. think even you came to realise it God, wasn't. It was but a long time no, ago. I, yeah, you're right. I wish, yeah. I wish him all the best. I fear for him football-wise because he's been out of the game so long. And I think the behind-the-scenes problems that he's had will will count against him at a lot of clubs. Um, but we have to remember that that little 18-month spell when he genuinely was there. And we were all thrilled to see it. But, mm. you know, um, it, uh, like, just good luck to him and the club needed to move on. He needed to move on and, and finally it's happened. Lee, very quickly on this point, also Gazaniga says his farewells as well. I know you probably want to touch upon Danny Rose as, as more of a more broader point. Very quickly on those uh, departing, any words? Gazaniga is a beautiful man. I mean, let's be honest about it. He's just one good looking fella. Um, <laughs> as we stare at his double. No, no, to be fair, <laughs> yeah, it used to be. Uh, not, not right now, if you take a photo of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I mean, Danny Rose for me, I, I remember clearly where I was in the stadium. For some reason, I got a ticket in the West uh, that night and I was running about a um, couple of minutes late for the kickoff. And I remember running up the stairs and, uh, and hearing this outrageous cheer um, and the stadiums went mental. And as I got up there, Danny Rose had just scored that outrageous goal against Arsenal. Um, and uh, and I'd missed it in, in live because I was like I, I was traffic or something or other, and and I think when he scored that goal, he became a hero straight away for Tottenham. Like he scored an absolute world in the uh, North London derby. You in the mixer, and he's been brilliant. He's absolutely been brilliant. I think the comments of him, as Jay's uh, touched upon, have been in some newspaper and all that sort of stuff. When we sold Carl Walker, which was my first show ever on Last Word on Spurs, and I said to you about it. If you know, we're never going to get it back. It turned Danny Rose's head. United wanted him 50 million, same as Walker. City paid 50 million for, for Walker, and he wanted to go and he didn't. And then he got injured. He was the best left back in Europe at that point, and they were fantastic. Both of them, Marauding fullbacks. You love Rick, you've always said it. How many times have you said it? Um, but look, it hasn't worked out for him over the last, uh, over the last few seasons, and uh. I just hope he can go and get a club that's uh, that allows him to get back on track. He, he's still got, probably got something left in the tank. So yep. hopefully for him, he'll do well. Okay, boys, it's time. The manager of America round. It all got a bit crazy earlier this week with rumours of Pochettino coming back. We've seen recently Antonio Conte also linked to the Tottenham job. So where we stand at the moment is that we started a week where there was lots of Graham Potter, Roberto Martinez, Brennan Rogers were still lingering around. We seem to be at the moment fixated on two names. One of them is Maurizio Pochettino. One of them is Antonio Conte. Jace, I'll come around to you to start. The, the Pochettino idea of Maurizio coming back is one of many would say a fairy tale. Um, some would say, well, hold on a second. You know, he left because there was a fundamental problem. It's still relatively the same squad. Therefore, why would Maurizio want to come back? Why would Daniel want him to come back now when it's inevitably still the same squad? Yes, there's a few additions there. But it's still a painful rebuild to overcome. And you wonder, you know, there would have to be a massive shift in power to Maurizio than before if he was to come back. So what do you think the future does hold for Spurs in terms of the next managerial appointment? And also Antonio Conte being mentioned, again, former Chelsea manager, very much 
again, a man that does go to war with the ball to make sure he gets the players that he wants. With the players as well, you know, he asks discipline a lot and demands from the players. What does this next week hold for Spurs in terms of the managerial appointment? And how far away are we in your mind of getting that new man in at Tottenham? Well, I can, I can see why Daniel would want Pochettino because he needs the job that Pochettino did for him seven years ago or six years ago, whenever it was, when, when he took over from Sherwood. That is the exact position. He needs to clear out the deadwood, needs to start completely again to bring in a new philosophy, to start a new project. And he probably trusts him to do it because he's seen that he pretty much did it the first time round. Um, so I can understand why Daniel wants him. And I think Daniel also knows how unpopular he currently is. And one way to win a little bit of popularity is to give it to, to who's been our most popular manager, even if some disliked him. He's been our most popular manager for probably in the Premier League era. So um, I, I can understand the appeal. What What's the appeal for Pochettino doing it? I have no idea because, as you say, it's, it's a job that for me, he, he should inwardly be thinking, I've done that job. I did it before. I should be now reaping the benefits of the job that I did there, not not having to go back and start exactly what we all did seven years ago. Um, so the Conte one, I think, would be a, an absolute disaster if we didn't get 20 new players in. Because Conte, that you see him, as you say, is quite political. He argues with the board. He... Uh, he is uh, really strong on players. You, you constantly see him haranguing players from the touchline. Uh, you know, Christian Eriksen didn't exactly have a happy experience with him, did he, at Inter, for a lot of the time. And I just feel that with our group of players, it would take them weeks before they turn away from him. And we know that once they turn, they give up. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but without having a completely new group of players, I think Conte would be an absolute disaster for us. Albeit, that's not necessarily a reflection on him. No, it's more he's of a, a reflection he's, he's on a the squad that he's he, taken. Yeah, he's a winner. And, we uh, have to emphasize that point. As a, as, a, as a coach of quality, you can't argue that he's an absolute quality coach. No. The problem we've got, the problem that we've got, is that we know that these players have failed. They're not there. Three managers now. So they're not there. That's the problem. They're not there within that group, and you know, and that's why I say. It, it, to me, it doesn't matter who the new manager is. The, the, the real changes have to come from that squad and they have to come from, from a change of the way the club is run. I mean, I look at Brentford that have just come to the Premier League with Matthew Benham. Everything Matthew Benham does is to try and guarantee success on the pitch for Brentford. And they finally got what they want. You know, uh, Leicester, we've said about that, the, the togetherness they have. We need that progression from, from upstairs rather than £60 tickets and furloughs and things. So the culture of the club has to change. And until we get that, I don't think it matters who the manager is. In a way, I'd like, of, of the two, I'd probably, the sentimentality goes for Poch. But I think what we have to remember, whoever takes that job on, and particularly if it's Poch, the, the, the natural thing will be, ah, he got us title races, he got us to a Champions League final. But it will be far more like the first season of Poch when we had to wheedle out Capoue and Lennon and Soldado and Eunice Cabal. And there was a point in that season where there was a point, Adi Bayor, and there was a point in the season where he feared. There was plenty of times that season we couldn't see what the idea we were trying to reach was, as some players pressed and some didn't. And we looked at an absolute mess in some guy. I remember losing at home to Villa at the end of the season to a relegated, I think that was the relegated Villa. And thinking, what yeah. a shambles we are. 
Yeah. So and, and he has to completely do the same job again. So I think whoever it is next year, we have to understand this is a massive transitional job that is in front of us and we have to be really patient. And so whether it's Potch or not, could forget about title races and Champions League races next season, that's for sure. Lee, coming over to you, what do you think at the moment where we are? You know, strong links on Pochettino, strong links on Antonio Conte. Thoughts on both and where are Spurs going to go? Well, again, I, I echo a lot of what Jason said. Uh, typically, I do. Um, Antonio Conte is a fantastic coach. He's a winner. Um, I, I cannot see him fitting in with Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Um, I think it's Jose Mourinho 2.0, and that might be a little bit unfair. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're the same coaches, but Conte spent £370 million in two seasons at Chelsea. He ain't getting £370 million at Tottenham in five seasons, let alone two. Right when he went to Inter Milan, he signed sixteen players. Right, it's during his time at Inter Milan. One of them being Romelu Lukaku, who was a record transfer fee for seventy-five million. He ain't getting that either at Tottenham. Right, so I, I don't think Conte is the is the right person. I, I actually think if we can't get Pochettino, I'll come on to him in a second. That I think that uh, Ten Hag is actually a better option than than. Uh, uh, than Conte because of that whole spending piece. Um, and that is, again, I would love to see Antonio Conte at our football club. I think he's, I think he plays some decent football. I think he's a winner. I think all them things, I just don't think the two, the two marry up. Um, on Poch, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I cried when he left. It was a death in the family. It was ridiculous. I mean, I know we've done a pod and I know people think I'm soppy and, the amount of love that everybody has got for this fella, uh, you know, over social media, everything is just ridiculous. He was born to manage our football club. This bloke, he was absolutely born. He, he <laughs> Jace says it a lot. Uh, Danny Rose gets it. Poch gets it. He made me proud. I brought shirts. I brought paraphernalia. I brought stuff because of Poch. People would say, who do you support? You can see in the back in the back here. I've got my my spur shirt, you know, on Zoom. Right, I've got my thing. People say you just put, and I'm proud. I was, I'm Tottenham. I support Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And I look at Poch, and I always think of you actually, Ricky, not being weird. But when Poch at the last day of the season, the finale at White Hart Lane, and he's looking around the club, um, and it was Nick Martin's 40th birthday that day. Me, and Nick Martin, Colsey were there. We went on the pitch with everything, uh, lots of people, and he had tears in his eyes. This is his football club. This, he's meant to be here doing what he's meant to be doing. And like Jay said, he should now be reaping the rewards, but yet he's got to come back and do it again. That's tough. But Fergie rebuilt year after year, uh, you know, um, cycle after cycle, sorry. He rebuilt cycle after cycle. He should never have been fired, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, and he should have been en enabled to rebuild at that period of time. He told the world that we needed a rebuild. He told the world that it was going to be painful and he told the world that we needed new furniture. Is is he wrong? No. He gets the club, he gets every, the fabric of everything that we are. And yes, it's going to, and I totally agree with Jace. If he comes back, it, it's going to be tough over the next kind of 18 months. It's not just going to be a given that we're going to finish in the top three. Although I do think that we might end up getting a, a little bit better than we've had over the last uh, couple of seasons. You've also got to remember that after the wonderful stuff that I've just talked to, uh, that I've just said about him, he never got us over the line. He never got us over the line. And, and something needs to change in his football club fundamentally to get us over the line. Somebody at the top, Mr. Levy, please, Daniel Levy needs to come out and say, 
we are going to focus on the football pitch. We're going to focus on the footballing matters. And we've got a project in the next three years or four years or five years to win the big prizes and back him and make it different to what it was before. Because if you do, if you do, you will earn more money than you currently do right now. And you will have more fans that are queuing up to get more and more tickets and more um, shirts and more everything around the globe. You'll get better sponsorship. It's commercially the best thing to do is to start winning on the pitch. And, you know, Sky didn't even put us on the graphic anymore of the top six of how many trophies are won because it's so embarrassing. One trophy in 20 years. You know what I mean? It's embarrassing. We didn't get on the graphic. Chelsea won 17 trophies during that period of time. We have to catch that up. We have to start making the differences and changes. There's a lot of work to do for any manager coming to this football club. Foyth, Rose, Sanchez, Aurier, Hart, Dyer, Winks, Sissoko, Lamella, Doherty, Davies, Cameron Carter-Vickers. I mean, this is a serious rebuild going on here. Bringing back Cess, bringing back Skip, maybe. Hey, to, Toby. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's a huge amount. And you know, the Celso forget, and Dombele. What Lamella. are they gonna do? Two two seasons, Lamella's in there. Two two seasons. What have they done? How are they gonna be? This is huge. Mm. And you know, Poch does Poch's work that he did the first time around deserves him to be given this opportunity, if it is, to come and do that whole rebuild piece because I think he, he gets the fabric of the football club, the DNA. Ryan Mason talks about DNA a lot and some fans like it, some fans don't. But the reality is that from a modern day, as, as close as you could be to a Birkinshaw or to a, to a modern day Bill Nick, somebody who understands the fabric of this football club, who I know he hasn't won anything, it is Potticino. And, and, and if, if you are looking for a blueprint of a new manager, it is Poch. It, it is that is who we'd be looking for. But you you go for somebody who hasn't done it before. So, look, he's four to nine. Four to nine with most of the be- uh, b- with the bookies. Yep. Um, and Conte is nine to two, second favourite. What's quite interesting is Real Madrid are in the mixer. And, you know, Conte's like favourite for Real Madrid and Poch is second favourite. So, yep. it could either way. We'd, we'd probably end up with, you know, we'd probably end up with, I don't know, <laughs> Christian Gross. It's, it's oh, happened in the past, isn't it, boys? It all remains to be seen. Listen, we're going to obviously keep you updated. As soon as that breaks, we'll be back with a very, very special show. Let me thank our wonderful guest for this one. The wonderful, say, guest, our stalwarts of the show, the brilliant Lee McQueen. Lee, thank you as always. Absolute pleasure. Choo-choo. Cheers, Rick. Cheers, Jase. Well, mate, I, I tell you what, uh, it crashed about 15 times this year, oh, but you never know. It might be back again. Fingers Come on, Potch. Oh, Get me dear. singing some songs. Partagino, Partagino. You know, the Wait, legacy. Coming, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the wonderful Jason McGovern. Jace, thank you as always. Absolute pleasure having you back on the show. Yep. Yeah, uh, might not be back on every week next year, but... Uh, we'll see how we get on. Listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm intrigued by the summer. I'm excited yeah. to see what the summer holds and, course, and the yeah. changes we make. But yeah. my God, there's a lot of changes and it's not just... With, with playing staff and managers. Yeah, totally agree. Some big, big shows coming your way, as always on the last word on Spurs. Listen, guys, keep safe, keep well. And as always, come on, you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.